Blessed Father, you have for 60 years rained down upon this piece of terra firma. And we have stood before you now and declared our gratitude and our praise for what the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies has done. And you're not through yet. We pivot on our heels and now look forward. What is yet to come? Renovate Hardin House. We've talked about the house for the last few moments now, Father. Renovate heart. Renovate all our hearts as your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Let all the people say amen and amen. Be seated, please. I want to share a story with you that Chris Candia wrote in the most recent Christianity Today magazine. It's a great story. Happened over in England. Here we go. There in England, this little boy was playing in the street, kicking the dust, jumping off walls. My wife happened to walk past him with our five children, which caught the lad's attention. He watched from a distance for a while and then plucked up the courage to jog over and ask, are you going to have a party? My wife quickly answered, yes, we are. We call it church. If you go and check with your mom, you can come with us. That little boy ran home and was back in a couple of minutes with a huge smile on his face. That Sunday, he stayed for a cup of hot chocolate and left before the, the services began. But he was back the next week and the week after that. And pretty soon, he, he had brought his mother, his brother, and a couple of his cousins. Eight years later, they are an integral part of our church. One of the most moving moments of those years was when the boy's mother was baptized, as we saw just a moment ago, standing waist high in the water. She explained a little of her traumatic childhood, her years living rough, and something of the struggles of trying to hold her own family together. Her face shone, and her voice clearly articulated her love for the God who had found her and welcomed her home. The idea that had caught her son's imagination was that the church was like a party and that he and his family were invited to it. Until then, they had sadly mostly experienced what it was like to be excluded. But the discovery that church wasn't so much an event you turn up to as a family you belong to was life-changing for them. In fact, it was life-changing for the whole church. Isn't that good? Did you catch that last line? The church isn't so much an event you turn up to as a family you belong to. And it is a life-changing discovery. It'll change you forever and ever. Once you realize we are family. That's not some new, new newfangled notion that comes with the third millennium. Are you kidding? That's as old as Scripture. You take the Apostle Paul. He's scribbling off, scribbling off a letter to his uh, young ministerial protege, young Pastor Timothy, and Paul gives this, this counsel. Put it on the screen for you. Look at it there. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but instead exhort him as if he were your what? As if he were your father. Keep going. Treat younger men as your what? And older women as your what? Mm -hmm. And your younger women and younger women as your sisters with absolute purity, just in case there's a young seminarian that has wandered into this space for worship today on our 60th anniversary. I want to say to you that that line taught to me by my dad and first initiated by the Apostle Paul has been the credo that I've sought to live by. I'm telling you what, guys, ladies, if you'll treat the older women as your mother and the younger women 
as your sisters, you won't have any problem at all. You know why? This isn't just about sexual ethics, by the way, whether you're male or female. This is about the metaphor, we are family. We're family. That's the whole idea of the church. We are family. Paul goes on in, in, in the uh, letter to uh, the, the church in, in Rome. He scribbles a little P.S. at the end. I want you to pass my hugs and kisses on to some in the congregation. So here we go. I'll put it on the screen. Romans 16, verse 1, and then again, verse 13. I commend to you our sister. Where'd you come up with that? family metaphor, of course. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a, a deacon of the church in Kencray. Oh, and by the way, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, to give her my love and hugs. Why? Because the church is family. We are family. That wasn't original with, with Paul, the Lord Jesus, when he was here. That was his metaphor. You remember that day that uh, Jesus is teaching away, and all of a sudden his mother and his, his half-brothers show up at the back of the crowd, and they send a word by some, somebody, and they say, hey, your family's here, and they want to talk to you. Jesus then speaks. Watch this. Put it on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 8, chapter 12, verses 49 to 50. Pointing to his disciples, Jesus then said, hey, guys, look, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Why? Because we are family. Jesus went on in Luke chapter 18. Put that up, please. Luke 18, verses 29 and 30. I, I tell you the truth, he said to another crowd, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. In the 60 years that we have watched these baptismal curtains open time and time again, there have been occasions, you haven't known about it, when men, women, young adults, teenagers, and sometimes kids standing in that baptistry have done so at great relational cost to themselves, and they have subsequently been ostracized by their most tender and precious relationships. Jesus says, you may lose those biological relationships when you follow me, but guess what? You're going to get a hundred times more in the community I have for you because we are family. We are family. Yeah, it's a big deal for Paul. For Jesus, for Scripture, church isn't so much an event you turn up to as a family you belong to. And it's just the very same way with the last letter ever written in the Bible, bar none. It's the last letter to the seven churches. It's to the church living at the end of time. It's the letter to Laodicea. That's been our little winter theme. Just a few more parts left and we're done. But let's go to Revelation chapter 3. The last letter, Jesus dictated it to John there on the Isle of Patmos. But what's the letter say? Well, may I show you that if we read between the lines, we see that it's still big on family? Watch this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. You can stop it right there. He calls himself, I am the ruler of God's creation. And guess what? The ruler of God's creation is the inventor of the family. He's the one who said, male, you'll be male and you'll be female. And oh, by the way, will you please go and multiply? The creator of the universe who created us is the Lord of families. He says, by the way, I'm the, I'm the one who's sending you this letter. 
I'm big on family. But we know he's even just as big on family by another clue tucked away. Let's look at that verse 14 we just read for a moment ago. And just, just use the opening line. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. Because you know what? When Laodicea existed as a church, they didn't have edifices. They didn't have Gothic arches like this. They didn't have cathedrals. They had nothing. All they had was somebody's house. Church happened in a home, a family circle. That's what happened. The families gathered together in a house and worshiped every Seventh-day Sabbath, embedded between the lines. We are family. That's why Jesus comes along here in verse 20. This is something else. This is the verse, the one line that everybody who knows Scripture remembers. Oh, this is the only part of the letter I remember. Verse 20, here I am, Jesus speaking, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The door is a family house. It's the door to a family home. Hey, yo, family, you're having a big big party in there, but do you know that I'm not in there? Anybody open the door for me? I'll come in, and we'll be family together. We'll share. We'll share that meal together. Yeah. Why? Because we are family. Church isn't so much an event you turn up to as a family you belong to. And that's why renovate is not just about house. (laughs) Renovate is about heart and house. And right now, you and I are thinking heart. In fact, nothing has brought this reality into sharper focus for us here at Pioneer than what has been happening over the last few years. I have a friend who told me years ago, our business, okay, so he's talking about the church, our business as a church is to find the wave the Holy Spirit is creating and then to surf it. Now, you have to be a surfer to get this. And I have my young friend, Michael Vonderpalski here, and he's a, he's a top flight surf, surfer. And so let's put it, Michael, let's put a picture of the wave. Let's put a picture of the wave on the screen. That's a big wave, isn't it? And Michael will tell you, the first thing you got to do is you got to have the wave. If you don't have a wave, you're not surfing. You're paddling, right? Once you get the wave, once you see the wave, you then, you ride it. You surf it for all your worth. The Holy Spirit has been creating a wave around here, and we didn't even note it. We didn't even see it till the other day. Oh, my. Let me show you. You're saying, Dwight, what's that wave? Let me show you a picture from this morning about eight minutes ago. Let's put that picture on the screen, please. Recognize those faces? That was taken just uh, eight minutes ago. That's not the whole group. That's the only part that we could get into the, into the lens. You know who those are? Yeah. Those are children. For months now, the number of children coming forward for the children's story each Sabbath has been unbelievable, and it's still growing. Where do these children come from? I'll give you a little hint. They came from their parents, all right? Where do the parents come from? The parents have come from all over campus. They've come from around the community. They've come from around the county. They're coming. Why are they coming here, Dwight? I'll tell you why. Because what Pioneer does for children, that's why, in just the one hour allotted for the Sabbath school time each Saturday morning, what, they, what Pioneer does is without parallel. You say, you're just biased. Of course I am. But let me tell you something. The reputation is heard on the street around the world. I travel, and people come up and say, yo, I know about your church, the children's Sabbath schools. We have the finest 
We have the most creative children's Sabbath schools on earth, bar none. And they're known throughout the denomination. And as you can see, they enjoy the same reputation here at home. That's why they're showing up. You throw in a Pathfinder Club second to none and an Adventurer Club that is the largest in North America, and it all adds up. Voila! Pioneer's future. The Holy Spirit has created a wave, and we've got to surf that wave for all we're worth as long as the wave is here. See, that's the deal. And so the confluence of two compelling realities has convincingly shown us the wave of the Holy Spirit here that He has created in Pioneer. Okay, what are the two realities? Well, one I've already given you. Number one, the throngs of children that now occupy this space. And number two reality is the highly motivated visionary volunteer leadership that the Spirit has anointed and appointed. Back in September, I sat down in my office here at the church with Lawrence Byrne, who's children's Sabbath school superintendent from uh, birth through grade one, and Glynis Bradfield, who's children's Sabbath school superintendent from grade two through early teens. And they were brimming. I'm listening to them brimming with ideas about how to grow children, and not just the children, but to grow their families, and not just the families, but grow the kingdom in the process. And this morning, while you were wherever you were during Sabbath school, they were packing that youth chapel out. We took a picture, and I want to put the picture on the screen for you. You know what they did? They had all the Sabbath schools downstairs come upstairs, parents and children alike. 276 headcount right there. And they put on a humdinger of a program. And they sent the teens who are having their youth Sabbath school there down into those rooms downstairs to teach little classes up and down the hallway. That's the kind of creativity that the Spirit is raising up. He's created a wave. We got to surf this wave. And so after much prayer and planning with our team here and with our conference administration, we are pleased on this 60th birthday Sabbath to announce a major paradigm shift in the pastoral team at the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University. And here it is. Jim Collins, in his mega bestseller, Good to Great, uses the leadership metaphor of the bus. He says, listen, the deal is you got to get the right people on the bus first, and after you have them on the bus, you've got to get them in the right seats. Well, that's exactly what we've realized, and that's what we're about to announce. In keeping with that, we're moving two pastors to new seats on the Pioneer bus. To respond to this wave that the Holy Spirit has already created with our children, we are asking Ben Martin, you met him just a moment ago, that precious little Emmett, his boy, and Arlo, we're asking Pastor Ben, our present youth pastor, to become our new pastor for children and family discipling, giving special leadership and oversight to children from birth through early teens. Ben has long had a passion for reaching the youngest of the members of God's family. And he's shown a proclivity to, to that skill. And we're very grateful that he has accepted this invitation. It's a perfect shift to surf the Spirit's wave. Now, his departure from youth ministry means that we, our team will only be complete when we bring in a new youth pastor on board to join the Pioneer team. And our new youth pastor will be a woman. Well, two of you are happy. I knew you would. Yeah. Amen. Our new youth pastor will be a woman. We don't know who it is yet, but we know it'll be a woman. You say, how do you know that, Dwight? Because those are the only names we've turned in. And he, I just was on the phone to the conference president, Jim Mischief, who's a great supporter of Pioneer uh, yesterday, and uh, he said, we got, the, we got the date for the interviews. They're, they're going to happen all in the same day, in just a few days. 
So we know that God will be sending a woman to Pioneer to begin to lead, spiritually lead, our teens. Hmm. But with the recent retirement of Pastor Sharon Darrell, we've had to, we've, we've had to bring two people in. Pastor Sharon has been our finance and stewardship pastor. We're making two shifts. We've asked Joanne Siegion, our accountant, to become our new church treasurer, and she's accepted a new responsibility and is doing great. And we're asking Jose Bourget, our campus chaplain, to become our new executive pastor. For the first time in the history of the Pioneer Memorial Church, we have now a leadership position called XP, executive pastor. Why are you doing that, Dwight? Because I need because we need someone with a passion for administration to oversee the vision mission of Pioneer as we now move into the seventh decade as a campus congregation. Jose's task will be to lead the annual strategic planning process, reviewing the mission vision and core values, developing key objectives and tactics, and establishing three- to five-year goals for the Pioneer Memorial Church. We need it. Which means now we've got to find a gifted campus chaplain to fill Jose's position. <laughs> and we're now beginning that search process as well. Holy Spirit will lead us. I'm not worried about it. The Holy Spirit will lead us to the right person. By the way, there's one other major change I, that I need to announce to you, and that is our Grow Group pastor. That is vacant when Sabine Vitale left to become a hospital chaplain. But we're very grateful already. And Pastor Rodley has agreed to step into that leadership position, Disciple, grow group discipleship ministry, along with a community outreach ministry that he already is carrying in his portfolio. And Brianna Martin, we just met her a few moments ago, will continue to assist Pastor Rodley in this critical ministry of grow groups providing discipleship for this congregation. So we have the right people on the bus. By the grace of God, they're occupying the right seats on the bus. And with the arrival of our new youth pastor at our campus chaplain, this team at last will be complete again, to which I'm going to say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Yeah. We are family. You got to write a song like that sometime, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it just has something to it. We are family. A little bit of Pauline syncopation, perhaps. But that's family, by the way. I'm putting it on the screen for you. That's family with a capital F. I want to end with a quotation. One more time, the words of Krish Candia from his Christianity Today piece. This is profound. On the screen, the church as family offers a healthy counterbalance to the church as event mindset. It can be an antidote to more individualistic, which is society today. Sadly, even consumptive. Everybody's a consumer, consumer. We're always trying to attract consumers, something new to get consumers to come to us. No. Sadly, even consumptive models of church participation that are common today, we don't want that. He's writing. Now read. Families look out for one another. Families are committed to each other for the long haul. Families support one another through tragedy and triumph. Families are not making economic calculations about cost and benefit. They are committed for better or worse, for richer and poorer, end quote, to which I say amen. So let there be no question that the God who for six decades has led this mighty congregation beginning 60 years ago right now, is the God who will guide us 
O thou great Jehovah, pilgrims through this barren land, we are weak, but thou art mighty. Hold us with thy powerful hand. And he will, for he is the God of Abraham and Sarah. He's the God of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the God of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. He's the God of the pioneers for whom this church is a memorial. And you know what? I have good news for you today. He is still the Lord of pioneer. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Because we are family. All are family. Amen.